0: Welcome back to the We the Union podcast. I am your host, Daisha, and I want to thank you for stopping by and listening to this podcast. Uh, Today's episode is going to be a little bit different from the normal episodes. Um, You know, we're going to change things up a little bit. We are going to talk about women's history. As you should know, March is Women's History Month, and so we're going to talk about the extensive history of women in the labor movement. We all know that women have been putting in the work (laughs) in the labor movement, in unions, getting things done. So please join me as I talk about this beautiful history of women in the labor movement. So we're gonna take it back (laughs) all the way back to the 19th century. So, the Industrial Revolution changed the face of the American workforce. Um, During this time, women entered factories in large numbers, oftentimes working 14 hours a day, six days a week, in dangerous jobs for low pay. In response to these terrible working conditions, women, young women, organized America's first industrial protests, strikes, and reform groups. During this time, one of the most common jobs for women was a domestic worker dealing with garments. It was a difficult field to work in, and women in this field typically worked 12 to 14 hours a day for low pay in very hot buildings, which of course led to the origination of the term sweatshop. We all know that term. This is kind of where it originated. Working conditions were often unsafe, You know, Garment workers used boiling water, strong chemicals, hot irons, and it created this very, uh, let's say, difficult, to say the least, working environment. Um, So way back in the day, in the 1800s, a young woman by the name of Kate Mullaney worked as a laundress in New York. Um, At 19 years old, when her father died, she began working and had to work 12 to 14 hours a day for only $3 a week. So, fed up with the low wages and the working conditions, she led a successful six-day strike in 1864 with over 300 other women to increase wages and improve working conditions. The strike led to a 25% increase in wages. And in February 1864, with her co-workers, Esther Keegan and Sarah McKillen, Mulaney organized approximately 300 women into the first all-women union in the country, called the Collar Laundry Union. That is truly impressive for a 19-year-old, especially in 1864, because we all know uh, what kind of society was back then, and a 19-year-old woman organizing a strike, that's truly impressive. So a few years later, uh, a woman by the name of Mary Harris, aka Mother Jones, Uh, rose to prominence as a fearless organizer for the mine workers during the first two decades of the 20th century. In 1871, Mary began to travel across the country. She moved from town to town in support of workers' struggles. She became known as Mother Jones to millions of working men and women across the country for her efforts on behalf of the miners. Mother Jones was so effective, the mine workers sent her into the coal fields to sign up minors with the union. Nearly anywhere coal miners, textile workers, or steel workers were fighting to organize a union, Mother Jones was there. So not only were women leading the charge as far as uh, you know, creating unions and organizing, they were supporting, they were a, a huge supporting force Uh, to the men who worked in, you know, steel mines, coal mines, and Mother Jones was was one of those prominent women. In addition to minors, Mother Jones also was very concerned about child workers. During a silk strike in Philadelphia, 100,000 workers, including 16,000 children, left their jobs over a demand that their work week be cut from 60 to 55 hours. To attract attention to the cause of abolishing child labor, she led a children's march of 100 children from the textile mills of Philadelphia to New York City to show the New York millionaires their grievances. She led the children all the way to President Theodore Roosevelt's Long Island home. So she wasn't just working for the adults. She was also helping out the children, which is it's obviously we know now today that it was an extremely uh, terrible thing for children to be working in these coal mines, uh, in these steel mines. So she she led the charge to, to abolish child labor. So I'm sure a lot of people can appreciate that. So in the early 20th century is when things really began to pick up for women in the labor movement. In 1900, women in New York organized the International Ladies' Garment Workers Union, AKA ILGWU. In 1909, workers at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory in New York City walked out to protest the firing of union members. The walkout ignited frustration across the garment industry. Company brutality against picketers was met by a mass strike of 20,000 workers, mostly young Jewish and Italian immigrant women, in the garment industry. An arbitrated settlement proved a partial victory for the ILGWU, but the three-month strike known as the Uprising of the 20,000 energized the union movement. So that... We're going to talk about the Shirtwaist Factory again in just a second. But you can see that a pattern was starting to develop with this company and the owners of this company, right? So on March 25th in 1911, one of the most infamous incidents in labor history occurred at the same factory where workers walked out just 2 years prior. On March 25th, a fire broke out at the factory killing 146 workers. Now I know you all cuz I remember learning about this in history so hopefully you guys learned about this as well, but I remember hearing about this and being like wow, and just hearing the the very horrific details Of workers being stuck in an elevator, uh, doors being locked so workers could not get out. They were stuck. A lot of people died literally at a door exit because it was locked and they couldn't get out. And a lot, a lot of workers jumped to their death. So very horrific uh, fire and very horrific incidents. This factory was a true sweatshop. Uh, employing young immigrant women who worked in a cramped space at lines of sewing machines. Nearly all the workers were teenage girls who worked 12 hours a day. Uh, The owners of this factory, Max Blanc and Isaac Harris, were notorious anti-worker employers. Their employees were paid a mere $15 a week. And during the walkout in 1909, they hired police to imprison the striking women and paid off politicians to look the other way. However, the Triangle Shirtwaist fire did lead to massive policy changes that would help prevent another tragedy like this. And, yeah, that's why it's probably one of the most infamous incidences, because it led to massive, massive policy changes that, you know, still protect us to this day. So the idea of women wage earners was changing as the percentage of married women in the workforce increased in the 1920s and then rose again by more than 25% in the 30s. Now, we all know what was happening during this time, especially in the 30s. There was the Great Depression, so work wasn't easy to come by in the first place, but it did not stop women from organizing and from leading labor movements. So during the 30s, we saw the emergence of Sue Coley and Emma Tinayuka. Sue Lee was a Chinese-American garment worker and labor organizer with the Chinese Ladies Garment Workers Association. In 1938, she participated in a successful 15-week strike against the National Dollar Store's garment factory. At the time, it was the longest strike in the history of San Francisco's Chinatown. And so with Emma Tenayuka was a Mexican-American labor organizer and civil rights activist she led many strikes by women workers in texas in the 1930s Tinayuca led strikes walkouts and protests to respond to issues that particularly affected mexican americans well how did
1: you get involved were Uh, you involved with the cigar strike oh yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well i had become very very interested in the labor movement i mean i had first there were the the anarchistas and so forth and then you had also the influence of the Sete Cooperacion uh, de Trabajadores de México. Do you mind if I smoke? No, Let me see if I haven't The salvation of all those who were hungry, and there were many, and what I saw here. Uh, it's only recently, only recently that I have been able to talk about some of the things that I saw here, I mean, as far as poverty, because it was just too difficult. So the cigar strikers were among the first. They were women. And it's peculiar. It's a women, I mean cops, women. It's a women who have led. And I, I just have a feeling, a very strong feeling, that if ever this world is, is civilized, it'll be more the work of women. I don't know how they're faring. I just read uh Read a review of a book you see about fatigue and mm-hmm. the woman who has made it up to a vice president or something like that, making more than her husband, and um, that uh, the fatigue you see is uh, right. coming home, to children, and so forth, taking I mean, them the dual the dual role. The dual role. It's difficult. Yeah. it's difficult. And I don't
0: think that women will ever really be competing for these In 1938, Tenayuka led a huge strike by pecan shellers in San Antonio. At the time, pecan companies could get away with paying desperate workers just pennies for the dirty, difficult work. And we honestly still see that problem today in the field, so we know. Um, <laughs> this changed on January 31st, 1938, when hundreds of pecan shellers walked off their jobs at the delicious pecan company in protest of management's plan to lower wages even further. How do you lower wages from pennies? I don't know. But, of course, management will try to find a way. We know that. (laughs) These workers, mostly women, elected Tenayuka as their leader. The strike grew to include 12,000 workers and lasted for three months. San Antonio's mayor sent the police out with tear gas and clubs to break up picket lines and arrest strikers, but they did not back down. Eventually, this three-month strike ended in a compromise. So now we're going to jump forward just a little bit to the mid-1950s, and you guys will know the name I'm about to say, I'm sure you will. So in the mid-1950s, we are introduced to one of the most prominent figures in the labor movement then and now. In 1955, Dolores Huerta launched her career in labor organizing by helping Fred Ross train organizers in Stockton, California. Then in 1962, she founded United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez, another name I know you all know. Uh, in 1965, Huerta directed the UFW's national boycott during the Delano Grape Strike, which I'm sure we all have
2: heard of. 14 years of support has been highlighted by people who have joined us here today. Furthermore, these groups are committing themselves to help us until total, total victory is achieved. The developments of the past seven months are only a slight indication of what is to come. The workers are on the rise. There will be strikes all over the state and throughout the country because Delano has shown what can be done, and the workers know that they are no longer alone. (laughs) The agricultural workers are not going to remain static. The towns that have been reached by the pilgrimage will never be the same. On behalf of the National Farm Workers Association, its officers, and its members, on behalf of all of the farm workers of this state, we unconditionally demand that the governor of this state, Edmund Brown, call a special session of the legislature to enact a collective bargaining law for the farm workers of the state of California.
0: The boycott resulted in the entire California table grape industry, signing a three-year collective bargaining bargaining agreement with the United Farm Workers in 1970. Back then, and even to this day, uh, Huerta has supported many labor-friendly legislation and continues to support farm workers and labor unions across the country. Now, this next woman that I'm going to mention, I did a post on her not too long ago on social media, um Addie Wyatt. She is one of the country's foremost labor union leaders, women's rights activists and civil rights activists. And we know that civil rights and labor rights overlap a lot, if not entirely. Um Addie began making her presence known throughout the labor movement in the 1940s. She was elected president in 1954 of Local 56 of the Packing House Workers UPWA, which made her the first Black woman to hold a senior office in the U.S. labor movement. Amazing! That's an awesome accolade. Um, in 1962, President Kennedy Kennedy appointed her to his commission on the Status of Women. She was a founding member of the National Organization of Women in 1963 and the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists in 1972. From 1956 to 1968, she joined Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in major civil rights marches, including the March on Washington, the March from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, and the Demonstration in Chicago. In 1974, Wyatt was one of the founders of the Coalition of Labor Union Women, a.k.a. CLUW, C-L-U-W, the country's only national organization for union women. The purpose of CLUW is to unify all women in the labor movement and to determine and seek remedies to common problems and concerns to develop action programs. CLUW has inspired thousands of women to become more involved with their local unions.
1: have come to Chicago, some by bus, some by train, and some by plane. And I think that has a message. You can tell them we didn't come here to swap recipes. They did come to create a new organization, an organization recognizing union working women. The Coalition of Labor Union Women was founded in 1974 in Chicago. And ten years later, more than a thousand members returned to reflect on the past and plan for the future. Much has been accomplished over the past ten years Clue was and still is the leading voice for American working women. We have led in the struggle for quality child care in this country. We've led the struggle for pregnancy disability benefits. We have led the fight for comparable worth. We have led the fight for reproductive freedom.
0: And we were a full participant in a leading organization in the fight for the Equal Rights Amendment.
1: This leading organization, the Coalition of Labor Union Women, boasts over 18,000 members, women and men. From 73 chapters in 32 states, representing 59 unions. As I go around the country, young women will say to me that it's because of their activity in CLUE and participating in CLUE that they now attend their union meetings, that they now run for office in unions. I think that's one of the biggest accomplishments of CLUE over the 10 years is the kind of training and self-confidence that women in the trade union movement have gotten.
2: I am the first vice president of my union, the United Farm Workers. Is- uh, but what I've seen that uh, you, CLU has done, it is given, it's a vehicle uh, where women know that it's okay, it's okay to go out and try to be the president of your union. And, it's, and not only is it okay, but it's a responsibility to take leadership in your union, uh, not only uh, to organize within your own organization, but to help other women organize within your own organization, and to organize, of course, the unorganized. But uh, we do need women in leadership, and CLU is saying to women, you should take that leadership.
0: And that is where I will end my history lesson, folks. And, yes, I know there is a lot more that I can discuss and a lot more people that I can mention, like Vilma Hopkins, Hattie Canty, and Mae Chin, but this is a fairly short podcast, and I couldn't possibly cover everything that needs to be mentioned. Um, I do want to thank you all for listening and hopefully learning a little bit about, you know, women's huge presence in the labor movement In the past and still today, they're still making changes and making strides in the labor movement. So thank you once again for listening, and I will see you all next time.